I'd like to invite Gary Strickarts up to read our reading. It's by Jan Richardson, a Christian author and poet. Blessing for waiting. Who wait for the night to end? Bless them. Who wait for the night to begin? Bless them. Who wait in the hospital room? Who wait in the cell? Who wait in prayer? Bless them. Who wait for news? Who wait for the phone call? Who wait for a word? Who wait for a job, a house, a child? Bless them. Who wait for one who will come home? Who wait for one who will not come home? Bless them. Who wait with fear? Who wait with joy? Who wait with peace? Who wait with rage? Who wait for the end? Who wait for the beginning? Who wait alone? Who wait together? Bless them. Who wait without knowing what they wait for or why, bless them. Who wait when they should not wait? Who wait when they should be in motion? Who wait when they need to rise? Who wait when they need to set out? Bless them. Who wait for the end of waiting? who wait for the fullness of time, who wait empty and open and ready, who wait for you, oh, bless. So it was the Christmas season of 1995, and my younger sister was crystal clear about her one singular desire for Christmas. If you've seen A Christmas Story, think Ralphie's Red Rider BB gun level of desire. Her object of obsession? An oopsie-daisy motorized doll that crawled on its own. The commercials would come on and she would be wrapped with attention in a way that I had never seen her focus so much on a commercial. Clear that she wanted Oopsie Daisy and nothing else for Christmas that year. Clear that nothing would make her doll collection more complete than this realistic baby doll. Our parents, of course, had other ideas about how this might play out. They tried to reason with her. Amy, don't you think you could maybe pretend to have your current dolls crawl? No. Absolutely not. Amy, is it, is it possible that you might not like this as much as you think you will? Nope, not possible, parents. So in the end, they saw her four-year-old heart was set on this doll, and they got it, even though they almost never got us things that we saw on TV, and even though it ate up most of what they had budgeted for Christmas that year. And on Christmas morning, my sister opened her presents, and the joy on her face, she had 
actually gotten the Oopsie Daisy doll. She was going to be as happy and as cool as those girls on TV. Her joy was palpable. And as soon as she could, without glancing at her other parents, uh, other presents, she got our parents to cut off the zip ties, remove Oopsie Daisy from her cardboard jail, put batteries into the doll, and started playing with it. And I remember watching her playing in our playroom as the crushing disappointment became clearer and clearer. The doll was not cuddly. It was made of cold, hard plastic. It was not realistic. It made this motorized <laughs> sound as it crawled. And it was not charming either. It had this weird habit of splaying out, kind of like this. That's why it was called Oopsie Daisy after all. And it would fall on the floor and play a recording of an actual baby crying and say, Mama, Mama, in a way that sounded a lot more like a sheep bleeding than a human child. My sister was devastated. This was her one big present. This was what she had asked for, what she had begged for and longed for, and she didn't like it. Oopsie Daisy had not made her instantly happy or joyful like the girls she saw on TV. In the end, Oopsie Daisy got precisely one hour of playtime in our house, and I think that was split between my sister and me. Social psychologists in the 1970s coined the term hedonic treadmill, which lightens, likens the pursuit of happiness to a person on the treadmill where you have to keep walking in order to stay in the same place. The hedonic treadmill in this theory is the observed tendency of humans to return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events in their life. Basically, this theory suggests that long-term happiness is not significantly impacted by life events, by achieving goals, by making more money, or by getting that oopsie-daisy doll. And I share all of this because I fall into the trap of the hedonic treadmill all the time. I've noticed my own self-talk over the years, narratives that go something like this. Well, Heather, once you finish the semester, get through the holidays, catch up on emails, find a new hobby, take the car to the garage, finish the to-do list, get a job that pays a salary, go on vacation, get a cat, replace your falling apart winter coat. You get the idea. Then you'll be happy, then you'll be able to relax, then you'll be living the life you've always wanted, then you'll be self-actualized. Then, then, then. Always in the future. Does this sound like any of you? Do you hear yourself saying things like this to yourself? Because let me tell you, friends, I've actually done all of these things at some point. I've gone on vacation and I found hobbies and my car is running just fine right now. Roses has been great with me. But my life is not magically any different than it was before all of these things. And today, as Advent begins in the Christian calendar and as we move into the holiday season, I've been particularly focused on this idea of waiting. I've been thinking about the spiritual gifts that waiting has to offer. 
Because I think that this hedonic treadmill has an element of waiting to it, right? Because we're waiting for all kinds of things. We are waiting for more money, or we are waiting for time to rest, waiting for a different living situation, waiting to hear about news, waiting to see loved ones. We're waiting for a time when we have more time on our hands. We're waiting for a world that isn't as violent and cruel. We're waiting to be happy or waiting for, for fulfillment. We are waiting for a day that love guides us and not fear. We are waiting for healing, for salvation, for the light to come back. We are waiting for a future that is always slightly beyond our reach. Advent, in the Christian tradition, is the time of waiting for Jesus' birth. Jesus, who in the Christian tradition would be the symbol of God's love and salvation. Jesus, who symbolizes bringing God's kingdom and peace to the world. And although for me, Jesus, I understand Jesus to be a human who embodied God's love so beautifully and profoundly that the empire took notice, I know I am waiting for that world that our hearts know is, know is possible, whether we call it beloved community or God's kingdom. I am waiting for that world that we can hear breathing if we're quiet, just beyond the noise and the lights that world where love and justice guide our communities and not fear or greed or profit or hate. I am certainly waiting. There's a word for theologies of the future, and that word is eschatology, meaning the study of final things or where humanity is ultimately going collectively. And unlike some theological traditions that tend to place the hope for salvation in an afterlife, progressive religious traditions like ours tend to place the focus on this life, this earth, here and now, saying that the most that we can know of heaven and hell are on this earth, and that it matters what we do in our lives, not for some eternal punishment that may be awaiting us, but because the ways that we create heaven and hell through our own actions are found here in this life on earth. So, welcome to hell. <laughs> and also welcome to heaven. Rebecca Parker, who is a Unitarian Universalist minister and theologian, says that there are three major eschatologies commonly found in Unitarian Universalism, which can each be summed up in a single sentence. They are the social gospel eschatology, which says that we are here to build the kingdom of heaven on earth. Then there is universalist eschatology, which says that God intends all souls to be saved. And finally, radically realized eschatology, which says that paradise is here and now. Radically realized eschatology, it says that we are standing on holy ground that we need not wait for a future life or even a future time when love and justice reign. Rebecca Parker writes, our framework of meaning can begin with appreciative and compassionate attention to this world rather than imagining an ideal other world. Our first prayer can be one of thanks 
instead of striving to get somewhere else, our goal can be to fully arrive here and greet each day of life with gratitude, expressing hospitality for the mysterious goodness that is every new morning, and engaging in compassionate care for the present realities of suffering, injury, and injustice that call for our active response. She continues, to say paradise is accessible here and now is not to say that the world is perfect or that we should focus on the good and deny the evil and pain around and within us. Paradise is a place of struggle, a place where suffering happens, where destructive systems that harm life have to be resisted. But we can live at home in the world knowing this is enough. A sense of enough is critical now because anxiety over not enough drives the exploitation and greed that threatens the Earth's ecosystems and puts cultures and lives at risk around the globe. And finally, she writes, we come to know this world as paradise when our hearts and our souls are reborn through the arduous and tender task of living rightly with one another and with the earth. Generosity and mutual care are the pathways into knowing that paradise is here and now. This way of living is not utopian. It does not spring from the imagination of a better world but from a profound embrace of this world. It brings hope home to today, to this moment, and its possibilities for faithful love. When we are waiting for a world that is not yet, we sometimes miss that we are already living our lives, here now, in this world, in this moment, Perhaps it is less about waiting for our lives to become something else, and more, as Buddhist philosophy would suggest, about waking up to our lives. Because all of these things that we might be waiting and hoping for, the good, the bad, the things to be excited about, the things to be grateful for, the suffering, the great joy, all of life is already present right now. This moment, is rich and juicy. A warm Friday afternoon last April found me walking very slowly down the hill near my house to the ice cream store, the store that just opened to get ice cream with two of my housemates. One, my nine-month pregnant housemate, whose water had broken the night before, but whose contractions hadn't started yet. Talk about a period of waiting. And between calls to their midwife and wrapping up last-minute things in the house, we went for a walk, hoping that that would help active labor begin. And the baby's dad and I stress-vacuumed out the car and installed the car seat and hauled out stuff out of the basement that we had meant to remove months ago because what else are you going to do with all that anticipatory energy? And in my anticipation and my waiting and my hopeful anxiety, 
I almost miss those moments, those last moments with my housemates before the baby came and joined our household. The warm sun on our faces, the joy of making up silly songs about waddling and labor, the companionship of a shared project, the satisfaction of spring cleaning. Life was happening then and there, even as we were waiting for something big that we all knew was about to happen. Advent, then, is a time of active waiting, of present waiting. In Hebrew, the word wait is also the exact same word as hope. And waiting, like hope, is not passive. In the waiting, we work to prepare a world that is ready for transformation and for salvation. We work to create the world, to prepare room in the inn. And in doing that work while we wait, we are actually living into the salvation and the hope by revealing and uncovering the ways that it has always been there right in front of us if we allow ourselves to become the ones that we have been waiting for. There is blessing in the work when we find heaven and paradise and salvation and healing in the work itself. So, dear friends, as we move into this season of waiting and anticipation, whether you are eagerly waiting for Christmas morning or you are eagerly waiting for the holidays to be over, or you are somewhere in between, let us also bless the path this time, the now, this journey. For too often, we only bless the end. We only say thank you when we've reached the destination. This season, may we find ourselves present to the moments that we are in, waking up to our lives, here and now, this very day. May it be so, and amen.